You're listening to a podcast from Bayside Church International. And this morning, Chad was leading worship, so he's taking a break from preaching, and we are going to enjoy a word from Rob. So come on, Rob, let's hear it for Rob. Thank you. Hey. Someone said morning. Good morning to you. I'm feeling a bit mischievous, so I feel like bursting into silly songs and stuff like that. And Maureen's got, got this sort of thing, no, 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 go for it. For it. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. I hope you are happy. Anyway, <laughs> I heard a six-year-old sing that once, once in a kids' church sort of thing in, in the church, and he, he did it like 50 times better than that. I want to say his name was Mikey Weber, and he ended up being the Planet Shakers band drummer, so he's like a pretty awesome man these days. He's not there now, but anyway, that's just rambling. Again, I'm reiterating, you can get to a certain age where you've got that many years you can draw from that you can ramble for a long time. One of these days, I'm just going to not prepare anything, just see if I can ramble. I'll probably get, lose, lose my voice. Uh. <coughs> There's been a lot of freedom spoken in the church today. A huge amount about freedom. I'm going to be talking about family, talking about being a family of friends, a body of believers. I'm sort of going there. You need to understand it's in the family, it's in, in the body, in the place that you belong where you can truly experience what the freedom of the Lord is about. This is a safe place. And what I've got to share today, <coughs> some of it's a bit personal, some of it's a bit about my journey and, and Maureen's journey. It's not the whole thing, but there's a bit of that in there, so that, that's coming. So this is where I'm going to start on Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Among my favourite verses... I got favourite verses in the Bible, and this is it. So one day, one day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And in verse 6, it says, So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. Now to me... I reckon that would have been a good day. And so Jesus gives them power and authority to heal the sick, to throw out demons. If you read the same account in Matthew's Gospel, it also includes healing the leper and raising the dead. Now, to me, that is really exciting. The reality is we all have that authority. We all have that power. So he gives them this power and authority to go and do all of this Jesus stuff. It's sort of like Pentecost hasn't even come. Holy Spirit hasn't even fallen. And off they go doing this stuff. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like the prequel church sort of thing. You know, it's the church before church started. And we have this bunch of individuals. And they're all different. They're all different occupations and education and whatnot. <laughs> but together they look something like Jesus. And guess what? So should the church. And so you've got Peter and James and John and Andrew 
and Judas. And Judas, go figure. He would have been out there with him doing all this stuff, but somehow he made choices that to follow his own heart rather than really going for the kingdom of God. That is another story for another day. And so the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost. They're there together. They're there with one heart. There's 120 of them or around about that number. The Holy Spirit comes. They're committed to each other. They're in covenant with each other. When I mean by covenant, they have made a binding or an agreement with each other under Jesus Christ that they are going to stay together and they're going to do whatever God wants them to do. And so the Holy Spirit comes and he's like, like a rushing wind, like tongues of fire. How, you know, I don't think they had the words, the person who, Luke, who wrote the gospel, not the gospel, wrote this particular book of Acts, even had the words to describe what they'd seen. It, so it's like tongues of fire, like a mighty wind. And it comes and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they start speaking in languages that they've never learnt and they're speaking them fluently and they're staggering and they're falling over and they're jerking and they're shaking and they're, they're crying and they're laughing. Sounds like someone's drunk here, doesn't it? Sounds like someone's drunk and people saying they're drunk and Peter says, no, they're just filled with the Holy Spirit, just filled with the Holy Spirit. And he preaches an amazing sermon, 3,000 people get saved. They start off 120 people in the morning, end up with 3,120 by night time. That's pretty good preaching, isn't it? That's mighty good preaching. And the thing is, you've got all of these individuals somehow united under Christ, looking something like Jesus. Now the thing is, that all could have fizzled out. It really could have. You think, oh, no, it couldn't have. Well, history shows that there are often massive revivals where thousands are converted, and within a short time, it's all gone. It's all gone. Well, it didn't fizzle out in those days, but it can. <laughs> I remember reading a book when I was a very new Christian. So this means I read it probably in 1978 or 77. <laughs> Some are thinking, oh, I wasn't even born then. And some of you are thinking, I retired then. There's <laughs> some pretty old people here. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, I was a new Christian. Dom was one of them. <laughs> I, I have to, he, he's always doing that to me. Anyway, just. And I read this book by someone called Watchman Nee. Older people, Christians, will know that name. Is anyone familiar with that name, Watchman Nee? There are some hands going up. I see that hand. You can say, come to the front and we'll fix that. Now, <laughs> and he made this comment that every generation needs its own revival. He said a church can be born in the fires of revival and within three generations it's gone or a shadow of its former self or it's state and formal. And, what, and I thought, wow, that's amazing. And this really got my attention. <laughs> now, we moved to Port Lincoln in 1978, and we were down there for about four years. <laughs> and we belonged to church. There's lots of stuff going on. They ran a night service, which was well attended. One night I went along to church, and the place was jam-packed, and I got there early. Everyone in town was there. There was a visiting speaker. All the ministers from the other churches were there. The place was full. <laughs> And they had this, this visiting speaker. His name was Edwin Orr. Now, some of you will know that name. Put up your hands if you know that name. Okay, so this means names can get lost. 
So someone like Bill Johnson, who's, who everyone knows that, in 40 years' time, people might say, who's he? And it's not really that important. It's what they, the legacy they leave is important. Now, this man was an American. He was about so high, he wore glasses. <coughs> he, he was bald and he was getting on a bit. He was probably about 60 or something like that. And, but I was only 30-something. So, you know, when you're that age, that's how it looks. And, and it turned out that he was a world-renowned professor of evangelism. He was like a giant of a figure in the academic world and in the, in the evangelical world. <laughs> and so he would speak all over the world. He was in Port Lincoln. I have no idea why he was there. And so he spoke. He was the person in 1949 who the young Billy Graham came to for advice of how to get a crusade going and he told him he needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Billy Graham got filled with the Holy Spirit and six weeks later he started his first crusade. So we're talking about a person of that calibre. So he opened it up for questions and I'm sat on the front. I even sat on the front then and I said, I said, why, I said to him about why is it that after a, a church can be born in revival and after the third generation can be just gone? And you know, this is what he said. This was his answer. God has no grandchildren and asked for the next question. And I think, oh. <laughs> it took me a while to work that one out. <clears throat> the whole thing is, we have grandchildren, but God doesn't. He only has children. And their children are not his children until they come to him and repent of their sins and receive the forgiveness Jesus won on the cross. Every generation needs to make its own commitment enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ like all of us do. Don't assume our children will be our Christians just because you're a Christian and they know the presence of God. How many kids I've talked to who have known the presence of God but did not understand they needed themselves, personally need to receive Christ. So God has no grandchildren. So, <clears throat> what I'm saying here is that in this body, this, this family of friends in, this, in the church here that of different generations, we need to have a heart for the generations and for the generations to come. Now, David understood this really well. And this is what he said in Psalm 78. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we've heard and known, stories of our, ans our ancestors handed down for us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell them in the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, <coughs> about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob, he gave instructions to Israel, he commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. And so the next generation might know them, and listen to this, and the, and the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. It would be a sad thing in three generations if the people here had forgotten the history of the church and the power of God and forgotten how amazing God was. That won't happen here, by the way. That won't happen here because you'll always hear my voice saying this. <laughs> Where should, what should I, what should I, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I'll, I'll go here. <laughs> when Maureen and I 
got out into ministry, and this was in, in, in the, at the beginning of 1988. That's right. That's when we started. That's when we, that's when we got a church. And so our first church was at Lucendale in the southeast. Everyone knows where Lucendale is, don't you? Everyone's had lunch at the Lucendale pub. Everyone's been to the field days. There's nothing much left. You've been to the golf club there. So that's about it. And that's where our church was. It was part of a big parish. The centre of the parish was in Narricourt. There was another minister there. There was a congregation up at Francis on the Victorian border. There was another one down at Rattenbully on the Victorian border, but they were like 80 k's apart or something. There was another one that just at a crossroads called Lock Arbor, and that's where we were. And so when we went down there for, for an interview, and we went to Narricourt, and we were interviewed by people from the parish, and there was a throwaway question. And it was like this. Oh, and will you take an interest in our young people? Yeah, of course we will. What that actually meant was, would you take responsibility for the youth ministry across the parish? <laughs> That's what it actually really meant. We discovered that as soon as we got there, as soon as we moved, as soon as we started. They had a youth leader who was a teacher who transferred not long after that. And there was about 15 of these kids. And so, well, we, that was fine. We liked doing this sort of thing. And so... We started developing this youth ministry. Remember, this happened in Narricourt. We lived in Lucendale, 42 k's away. And so we would start putting kids in our car and taking them in. We had a Datsun Bluebird station wagon, so you could put three kids in the back seat and three in the wagon bed. You could do that then. <laughs> Those were the days. <laughs> Those were the days you could have a Datsun Bluebird car you could afford. Anyway, <laughs> so... We would, do, we would do that, and other people were doing that, and they would come from Francis and Rat and Bully, and over, after a couple of years, we probably had 45, 50 kids coming in from all over the place uh, in, into, into Narra Court, and we developed a team of really good leaders. Now, <laughs> there was a girl in Lucendale, she was about 12 or 13, called Tracy. Her name's Tracy Gale. I can tell you this because if you ever go to Narra Court and need to go to church, you need to know Tracy Gale, because he's a pastor now. So <coughs> Tracy, would, she was really shy and she would, she would come to our house after school and she'd come in with us and she'd come back with us, sleep in our daughter's room and then her parents would come back and get her the next day. Her younger brother, who <coughs> wasn't quite old enough for youth group, and as, as the youth group grew, there was also other kids getting a little bit older, old enough to come. And there was a whole bunch of Christians lived out in the Reedy Creek Range, which is about a half an hour out of Lucendale, going away from Narracourt. <coughs> and... Tracy's parents, <coughs> they would bring two cars in every Friday night. And I'll tell you, at this time, everyone down there on the land was doing it really tough. They could hardly afford fuel, but somehow they'd bring two, <coughs> two cars in, fill them up with kids out there, and bring them into Narracourt. And things just exploded with the youth ministry. It was really awesome. And her younger brother, he, he got involved in the youth group, and there was two littler ones. So we left there, left that ministry in good hands. The next minister wasn't that interested and it just sort of gradually eroded. He never, the leaders moved on and it just about disappeared. But Tracy and her brother and a couple of others got a bit older <coughs> and re-established what was going on. And uh, they just basically did what we'd always been doing. Just did the same thing, except they did it better. I went, we, went to, we went back to the southeast about four years later at Keith and we went down there and they got a youth group of 100 kids got up and running that had almost fizzled out. And so this is awesome. <coughs> And so I well, would go down there and speak sometimes, and it was so successful. Their pastor would give them the night service to do what they liked with, and that was the, probably one of the biggest services in, in Narricourt, except for Narricourt morning service in their church. <coughs> and so it was all happening. 
And then one day we were, we'd moved up here to, to, to uh, where, we live, where are we, Victor Harbour? <laughs> yeah, Victor Harbour. Moved up here. By the way, our daughter lives down there as well, so we would visit regularly. And we'll, we went down there and, and Tracy said, can you come and speak to the youth group? And they called it Blitz. That was the name of the youth group, Blitz. <laughs> and it was a really good night. So I spoke to the, and so this is a Friday night, <laughs> it's a worship night, 100 kids turn up to a worship night in the hall. This is what, this is, this, when a youth group's work and they like worship nights better than everything. And <laughs> so we're down there and sp- speak to these kids. And afterwards, they're, they're, we had ministry and then they're doing things they're doing. Teenagers run around all over the place having fun. <clears throat> I said to Tracy, I said, this is a really great youth group, great bunch of kids. And this is what she said. She said, they look like you. She said, you gave us our DNA and we've passed that on to them. And they look like you. There's a responsibility across generations. The thing is, it hasn't stopped there. Over the next few years, with that particular church, a denomination, issues arose <coughs> that made it difficult for them to stay. And so the church basically gave them a blessing and released that youth ministry so they formed their own church. It's called Max Life. And if you ever go to Narracourt, they meet in a building just behind or as part of the Caltech service station. And, and then they bought, just recently bought the old nightclub next door, cast the demons out and start ch- uh, starting to renovate the place. <laughs> they got a, a vibrant, lively church. Eh? It opens in two weeks. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> so the thing is, the DNA, back from that youth ministry, there's a bit of our DNA in that church. To me, when we go there, it feels like home. It, it, it's, sort of, it's, it's like family. And so when there's a generation coming up, you need to look after it. There's a New Zealand pastor called Paul de Jong, and I was at something, and he said this, what you do now is a foundation for a next generation. Now, just back to here to us here at Victor Harbour. <laughs> Many of you know my background. You know where I've come from. Some of you, I've just sort of appeared here a couple of years ago and <laughs> I didn't actually appear out of nowhere or out of a vacuum. I just I have some history. So Maureen and I came here to Victor Harbour in 1999 and we were the senior pastors of a large church here in Victor Harbour of a, in a traditional denomination. I didn't wear a, a robe or a collar, by the way, just letting you know that. Just letting you know that. <coughs> and so we were part of that. And, and we were doing pretty well there. We got a youth ministry working there and the church was, had <coughs> stacks of people, had a really good evangelical leadership but there's issues within that denomination that are really now current in our political scene in the whole area of sexuality. There's a whole lot of that stuff going on and ordaining pastors uh, who are practising homosexuals and, and all, there's all this sort of stuff going on. And that came to a point where <coughs> it was really getting tough and a resolution was passed in their national congress or assembly and it was to basically give him a green light, anything goes. Anyway, this particular Sunday, <coughs> after church, I thought, I'll just go out to the kids' ministry, kids' church, and see, see what they're talking about out there. So I went out there, and there's one of the mums there watching her kids. She had three, four little blondies, one from about two to about nine, they would be. 
little blondies, really attractive kids, three little girls and a boy. <laughs> and uh, so I didn't say anything to her, I just stood by her, mum's blonde as well, she comes from Bradford where Maureen does, it has to be something good about that. And, uh, <coughs> and she says, without me saying anything, she says, the thing is, I know while you and Maureen are here, they'll be okay. <coughs> but you won't always be here. And I know while we've got <coughs> the leadership that we have now, the, the elders, that they'll be okay. But they won't always be here. So what happens when they get old enough to be in youth group? What's going to happen then? And then she said this, and this was like a bolt from heaven. What about their kids? The oldest was nine. What about their kids? At that moment, I realised that I had a responsibility beyond what was in front of me, but to a generation yet that is even unborn. What I do now is laying a foundation for a generation that is yet to come and is not even known. So not long after that, that was one of the triggers that caused us to leave and start Southern Gateway Community Church. And so we started that and, and passed that for seven years until I theoretically retired. <laughs> and to make that work, <laughs> we needed to have more than the reason we left them for we had needed more. we needed to commit ourselves not only to Jesus but to each other in other words covenant ourselves to be a family and as we say here a family of friends so we had to do that we need to be able to do things like that so here most of you are here because you want to be here this is your home this is your family we're your people this is who we are. There'll be some here today who are passing through for various reasons. You're on holidays, <coughs> you're just here temporarily in Victor Harbour, or you just may be looking for the place you belong and you haven't quite got that, work, that all worked out. And that's okay. That often happens. But for most of us, this is it. This is it. Take a good look at each other. You're st we're stuck with each other. That's not a bad thing. This is, a, this is a really good thing. I don't mind being stuck with you. I, I think it's really good. <coughs> you need to find your people. I'll tell you why. Because it's among your people, it's in your people, you discover what your destiny is about. You cannot do that in isolation. <coughs> you need your people to find your destiny. And so here we help each other grow to work out our identity and to discover what our destiny is about. Now, I was looking at something the other day. I've taken on this little e-course for six weeks from Bethel, and I was looking at something there to get these 20-minute videos and a workbook, and it's really good. And um, Chris Vallotton, who's the senior associate pastor at Bethel <laughs> under Bill Johnson and runs their school of ministry. And that's where Jake and Rachel spent three years of their life in that school and where Mel Slater, who who started coming to this church, is, is just starting that part of her life. So there's a whole, and the Van Tinderen's son is Bill Johnson's... Yeah, we've got a lot of connection with that church, haven't we? <laughs> he's, he's his PA. So there you go. And Rebecca's on their worship team. So I'll just, just get back to where I was going. And he was telling about 
when he got saved. He got saved around either the late 60s or the very early 70s. <coughs> but it was that time when the Jesus movement appeared. The Jesus movement was a, like a youth revival. It happened outside of the mainstream churches. And all these young people all over the place are getting saved. And it's a massive thing. It was like a counterculture within the within the Christian church. And so the traditional church didn't know how to handle them, and, uh, but they were quite happy because they were all young and they just basically worked it all out themselves. Larry, people like Larry Norman and Keith Green and Barry Maguire, if you know those names, are products of that Jesus movement. So he got saved in that, and he was with them for about four years. He said the problem was, he said he loved it there. They were wonderful people. <coughs> they were deeply Christian. They grew him. They taught him. They loved him. And uh, it was exciting. But the thing was, he was unsettled. He, he knew, even though this was an amazing thing, he was in the wrong place. See, he had this thing in him that he really had to be reaching into the community and into the world to influence the world. <coughs> but with the Jesus movement, they tended to isolate themselves and just live in communes and probably just do a bit of good in the local town. And so he knew eventually he and his wife were going to have to leave there. So about, after about four years, they left and went to a town called Weaverville, which apparently is near Bethel, and there's about 40 people there. And he thought, yeah, this is okay. And, and then one day, a new pastor turned up. He, and it was Bill Johnson in the early 70s. And he says, this new pastor, he turned up, a young bloke. He said, well, he didn't say bloke. He looking like a hippie and his wife looked like a flower child. I thought, wow, that's going back a bit. And he, he said, oh, yeah, he looks pretty cool, but I really need a spiritual father. They assigned him a spiritual father after he got saved. Some young guy was two years older than him. But this young guy had maturity and wisdom to speak into his life, by the way. And so, I need a spiritual father here. And, uh, and then he said, Bill started speaking. He's never heard anything like it. Now, this is what happened. He said, he was singing a song he'd never heard. He was singing his song. In the Jesus movement, he said, they were singing songs. And I don't actually mean the songs we sing Sunday morning, but it's a song of life. So I think they were singing songs that weren't my songs. And they were shouting verses that I'd whisper. And then Bill starts to speak and he says, he was a singing a song that I'd never heard, but it was my song. The poetic types amongst you will get this. Even I can get it and I'm not very poetic. He had discovered his people. Well, it's only Bill and Jenny. Jen, Jen, is that his wife? Jen? Yeah. And it was only them and this small group of people. Folks, when we were at Gateway, we knew about you guys pretty well. Chad and I have always been good mates. We've always been good friends. He used to annoy me when he was younger because he'd do silly things to me. But we're always good friends. I'd always say, if I wasn't going to church, I'd be going over to Bayside. I'd, I'd do that. So... And so anyway, so the thing is when, when Chad asked us to come over here, I, I thought, oh, this will be really good because Bayside was very similar to what I was used to, except every little aspect of Bayside is slightly different or slightly different to what it was then because it's, it's different again. And, uh, and so, that, so we came over here. It didn't take long to realise that you were singing the same song that was in my heart. That you're my people. It didn't take long to work that out. 
where we were, really, the song had started to change. And we really needed to be where the same song was being sung amongst our people. And you're it. You're it. We're really pleased about that, aren't we, Maureen? We love it here. <laughs> and so here, we flourished. It's been great. And you know, my destiny has just seems to have got bigger and just continues to unfold. You know, your vision has to be bigger than yourself. And what I've realised over probably the last six months that everything I've learnt and experienced over the years, and I'm talking about over a lot of years, somehow is starting to come together in a way that I'll find unbelievable. So over the next few years, everything behind me is now coming together in something that God is doing in my life and in other people's life because of that. And so my vision has just got bigger. And folks, you have to have a bigger vision for yourself than what you have now. Because your God is much bigger than that. So <laughs> we were here for three months. We came virtually at the beginning of October two years ago. <laughs> Chad was going and having his long service leave and <laughs> having, they were having a rest and a break and Zoe was about to be born. That means she's nearly two. Thinking about, eh? Yeah, just thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, just, wow. And, uh, and anyway, so we're here, and, we, and, and then we get into December, and then people started saying things like this to us. Leaders, be, <laughs> they say, what are you going to do when Chad comes back? You're not going back there, are you? <laughs> it happened all the time. You're not going back there, are you? I say, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe there's still a bit to do here. I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to say too much. We didn't really want to go back, but <laughs> we... we, we so you're not going to go back. Well, so what are you going to do? Anyway, so Chad comes back and in, in January and we start having a conversation somewhere, sort of like that, without, but that, without getting digging into it too, too deep. It just sort of came pretty apparent. Well, what do you think you'll do? I said, well, there seems, still seems to be something to do here, something I need to do, but I don't think I've finished here yet. <laughs> so it went along like that. Now, here's, here's what I really want you to hear. Somewhere, looking back, somewhere something significant happened. I said to Chad, I don't want a position, I don't want a role, I don't want a title. I'll do whatever you want. (laughs) So he says to me, so that means I've got a blank cheque with you, does it? And I said, yep, (laughs) it sure is. So that means I could be vacuuming the hall here because the, the, the hall here because there's something going to be on later on in the week and needs vacuuming. Or I could be working with people on, on developing some ministry stuff or I could be preaching or putting stuff out for busy bugs or I could be doing, praying for someone or, or working with Mal on some pastoral stuff. It really, or doing a, a one-off project every now and then, that happens. And so it basically worked like that. And I'm looking back and I realised that I'd made a covenant with Chad he probably didn't realise that's what I was doing and I realised I did this. I'd made a covenant to serve him, serve Jay and serve the house. That's, a, that's my binding agreement. They don't have to do anything in that. It's, it's unconditional. That's the way it just, it just goes. So covenants are an amazing thing. When you find your people, you need to covenant together to be a family of friends in a way that it's really unconditional. 
that they don't have to wear the right clothes or the right hat or drive the right car or drink the right coffee. Oh, I might maybe no, I think about that one. <laughs> so it's unconditional. Covenants have a way of changing history. They influence history. I'm going to go to the book of Ruth, and most of you will be familiar with the, the story of Ruth. Naomi and her husband, who were Jewish people from Bethlehem, had gone to live in Moab because of a, there was a, a, a massive famine happening where they were. And their two sons married a couple of local girls, and one, <coughs> one was Ruth. So Naomi's husband dies, and then her sons die, and she's like absolutely grief-stricken, and, and she decides to go back to Bethlehem. It turns out that things have come good there. So the two <coughs> young girls, the girls, they're going to go with her. And anyway, she talks one of them out of it, and Ruth says she's going to go. Now listen to this, you'll know this. This is, this is familiar stuff. This is history-changing. This is a history-changing statement. So Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I'll be buried. She made a covenant with Naomi that she would stick with her forever. She married Boaz. Their son was Obed. His son was Jesse and Jesse's son was David. This is history-making stuff. And David begins the, what we'd call the line of David, which leads to Jesus. So in effect, that covenant has something to do with you and me here today. <coughs> the fact is that we're here today has got something to do with this young woman in Moab who chooses to go to some strange place with her mother-in-law. <coughs> and so we have Jay's mum and dad here today. They're here today. Somewhere in the past, they, they entered into a covenant of marriage. And for Chad's parents, they also did the same sort of thing, entered into a covenant of marriage. And out of those covenants, we get Chad and Jay. And out of that, we have Bayside. How much influence has Bayside had on this community and beyond this community into South Australia? <coughs> How much influence does it have in other parts of Australia? And then when you go over our borders, or you go overseas to New Zealand and Indonesia and to Malaysia and to, <coughs> to the Philippines and to Sierra Leone with the mercy ships, how many people have been influenced by the ministry of this church because of the covenant they made, the parents made, many years ago. You've got to think about it. I tried to do the math. I got lost. There's books have also been written that by Chad and it's been translated in other languages. The videos have been taken. Stuff gets passed around. People hear, hear messages and then they, they use that stuff in their towns and villages. I thought, well, it could be tens of thousands. Maybe, I suspect if you started working out, the ripple effect's probably gone into the millions. It most likely has when you start thinking about where he's been and the types of people he's been influencing. And when you get to Sierra Leone, how many people whose lives have been saved literally because of the mercy ships, how many people have been touched by Jesus and passed Jesus on to someone else because that we will never know until we get into heaven. And then we'll probably be that excited about God that we'll leave that for a while. <laughs> anyway. Oh, 
You want to go? Okay. We just don't go today. <laughs> that, that would that would upset us all. <laughs> now, no, no, you keep quiet. <laughs> we could get into the, we get very sidetracked here. I, I got to keep going because I still got a little bit to say, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there, honest. So, we need to come together as a family of friends. It's here that we love each other and we grow each other and we build each other up and we, we stand by each other, we mentor each other, we speak into each other's lives and when someone's down, we lift them up. And folks, in this house, we need spiritual mothers and fathers. <coughs> we need people who are strong in their faith, who have maturity and wisdom and are godly people who have the fruit of the Spirit evident in their lives to speak into other people's lives. Now, spiritual mothers and fathers don't have to be older people. They can be younger people. As I said, Chris Valentin, his spiritual father was two years older than himself. But we need spiritual mothers and fathers. And there's an attitude in people like this that says, I will do everything I can to help you flourish and to be the best you can. I will do everything I can to ensure you know what it means to be a child of God, to understand your identity and to find your destiny. We also need some Barnabases in the house. We've probably got a few of you around here. Barnabases are amazing people. <laughs> Barnabas, you find him in the book of Acts. We know a little bit about him, <clears throat> not a lot because he wasn't one of the key players, and yet he was the person who ensured some of the key players actually did what they did and do it well, Paul and Mark especially. And so Barnabas will stand by you. They won't dump you. They won't abandon you. They're the ones who, who think, I'll give them another go. I know how to get the best out of them. They'll go the second mile. <laughs> They're tenacious and they are with you. And also they can see something of your destiny upon your life. They can see greatness in you and they can call greatness out of you. And so he saw that on Paul. And Paul established the church in the Gentile world. He also wrote 13 to 14 books of the Bible. And the young Mark, who Paul had decided wasn't worth having around because he gave in too easy, well, Barnabas went off with him and grew him and built him. And years later, you discover in Timothy and Colossians that young Mark is still around, except he's getting a little bit older, and Paul truly values him. By the way, he wrote the Gospel of Mark. And so we need the Barnabases. The Barnabases will lift you up and sometimes we need to be a Barnabas. You might need to be both all in one day for all I know, but some of you have that, that heart in you. And if it's you and you're not doing it, do it. Step up with it. And if you need a Barnabas, find someone who will speak in your life and won't dump you. I'm just about done. I'm just about done. I'm, I'm getting there. So, I'll have a drink of water. So as we, as we covenant together, as we sing the same song, as we, as we discover our, our destiny, we'll also find, as a church, truly what our identity is about. We need to really discover our identity in a serious sort of way. If anyone asks us, we can tell them. 
And so as we covenant together, as we sing the same song, as our, our destiny unfolds, we need to also understand our identity, that our identity becomes clear. So we are a body of believers that cut across generations, a bunch of people who found their people. That's us. We found each other, so to speak. And so we need to covenant together. And we need, out of that, we need to reach into our community. And we need to reach it in, in, across Australia and across the seas to other places and do that. Because we are a covenant people that's called to do that. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll say it again. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Come on, let's get some fire going here. <laughs> let's get some fire going here. I, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't make me shout. <laughs> Don't make me shout. Don't make me shout. I'll just come over here. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with fire and power. That is who we are. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And so not only we fill the Holy Spirit, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, we're a bit crazy here. And you love that. You love that. You love to brag about that. We're vital and we're excited and we're dead serious about the kingdom of God. We're dead serious about our awesome God who died on the cross and who loves us deeply. We are serious about that. So folks, today, everyone needs a home. Everyone needs to find their people. Everyone needs to be in covenant, in a, in a covenant family, a family of friends. Everyone needs this. And folks, we need to have a heart for the generations of different ages and the generations that are yet to come. Folks, we also need to aspire to be a noble people, to be able to stand tall with our shoulders back, our heads up and with fire in our eyes and Jesus in our hearts. Sons and daughters of God. We talk about princes and princesses, warriors, knights, but we need to be a noble people that look like Jesus. We also need to be a Barnabas or we need a Barnabas. I'll tell you why you need a Barnabas. This is why. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? This is why you need a Barnabas. You need someone who will pour petrol on the fire of your passions. And you need someone who will pour water on the fire of your fears. Yeah. I'll say it again. It's not mine. It's Chris Valentin's. I'll own up to that. But there you go. You need someone who will pour fire, petrol, on the fire of your passions and who will pour water on the fire of your fears. You need someone like that. This is what Barnabas does. This is what Barnabas does. So today, our role model is Jesus. It's not hard to know what to do to be a Christian. Look at Jesus. It starts to get clear. We're, he is our role model and he gives us power. He gives us power and authority to do Jesus stuff. He gives us the power to live in covenant together and to change history. Amen. So this is what we're going to do now. This is what we're going to do now. We're going to just basically go into communion. Realise, you know, we're talking about we're a covenant people, we need to covenant together. Well, Jesus did that, didn't he? He said, hail the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. He's making a binding agreement with us 
and he's the one making the agreement. We receive, and today, as in a moment, I'm going to invite you to start coming out and taking your communion and uh, just enjoying some time with Jesus, recognising that what you're holding is saying, I've made a covenant with you. Make a covenant with each other, to love each other and to build each other and to, to build the church. So when you come, Chad, you can play any time you like, mate. You start playing with it a lot? I am. Are you? Okay. <laughs> My ears are good. Um, when you come, this is what I'm suggesting. Don't come on your own. Take someone with you and look around to make sure no one's on their own. This is a family. This is a family. We don't want a family gathering where you look over and there's a kid sat over there on their own and everyone's not noticing. We don't want that. That's not what family's about. Bring someone with you. Come and get your communion. Move away from the table because there's others. And maybe gather together in twos, threes, fours and sixes and share that together. You could do that together or, and pray together. That would be good. Encourage each other. <coughs> Prophesy into each other if you've got one going in you. Anyone got a prophetic word going in you now? You don't have to give it here. You can give it in a little bit. Come on, put up your hands if you've got prophetic words going. Okay, we'll need to fix that. Holy Spirit, would you come? And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as people come and gather around the communion table and gather together to pray that you would give them prophetic words for each other that would build into them and encourage each other. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are doing that now. And some of you have already got it and others will get it on the way out. You could do that. Or you could go back to your seats and you could sort of just move the chairs around and pray together and take communion together. Be family. And it may be that you just want to hang around the front and pray on your own or you might need some prayer. You may need prayer for healing today. You might be sick. We've got power and authority to fix that. So my Bible says. You may be sick in the heart. God is great at healing broken hearts. He, he's expert at that. He knows what that's about. You may have a broken heart or you may be just worried sick about someone. And you may need to open your heart up to Jesus. And so today... Something may have been resonating within you that you really need to make a response to Jesus. That you've never actually asked him into your life to be your Lord and Saviour, to receive his forgiveness. You may have been in church all your life and you're not one of God's grandchildren. You just haven't come to a point where you're one of his children, if that makes sense. So today, if that sort of thing is happening with you, can you just like put your hand up and then put it down and make sure I can see you so I'm not going to come and do anything awful to you. Don't scratch your head or your nose. <laughs> There's the six people who just got saved then. <laughs> Don, you get down here. You need to get saved. Yeah. I wonder if Jesus laughs at me being silly like this. He probably does. He probably smacks me over the back of the head a bit gently. But at the end of the day, if something is resonating within you, that says, you know, I really need to open my heart to Jesus and accept me. Can you actually just indicate by just putting your hand up quickly and then just putting it down? Or if you are not sure, but I'll be around here, come and talk to me afterwards. You know, it may need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again, touch the Spirit. <coughs> Rachel, I'd love to pray with her that. She's expert in that area. <coughs> and Jake. Okay, stand your feet.
look to your neighbour and say, would you like me to come with you? Okay, start coming. This has been a podcast from Bayside Church International. Thanks for listening.